Well, I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about the nearness of God. And this past week on Monday, I'd set aside some time with the Lord just to ask him what was on his heart. And about 10 minutes went by, and I remembered this, like, really old prophetic word from, like, five or six years ago. And then I went off this, like, rabbit hole tangent of listening to prophetic words for, like, the next two hours, and then my time was up, and I had to, like, go do something else. And I was like, okay, Lord, what, what's on your heart? Like, you're going to have to tell me in my going because I got real distracted there. But in doing that, I did just want to share this little tidbit before we get in. So I've discovered over the years that it's super helpful to track prophetic words and, like, write them all in one place. So whether that's in your phone or, like, in your journal or just however you comprehend things better by writing it out or typing it or whatever, it's good to have those all in one place. And at the end of every year or the beginning of the new year, I'll set aside a full day to go back through all the words from the year. And those can be words that like the Lord spoke to me like directly, Bible verses that stood out to me, things like songs that stood out or just anything. And I'll start writing them down in a simple form. And then I'll put like a times one, times two, times three by the ones that like were repetitive. And that kind of creates like this compass or like a roadmap for like all right, Lord, if you highlighted that that many times this past year, it must be somewhere we're going, right? So it just helps keep myself like in tune with that. And then I'll spend the rest of that time asking him what's on his heart for that year. And a lot of times it's usually directed by those words that were repeated time and time again. So that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But I found it helpful, so if you want to, like, host a prophetic summit for yourself at the end of the year or beginning of the year, and I realize, like, I have some friends in Atlanta who do this, um, and they have kids, and so it's kind of hard to, like, set aside a giant block of time for them. So what they'll do is, like, alternate with their spouse, like, a three-hour block where they just set that aside and then do something else um, for the next day. So... The next time I was spending time with the Lord and asked him what was on his heart, I had a little bit of time. And what I felt like he said was to just enjoy my presence during that time. And I was like, God, that's difficult because I just want to get stuff done. You know, I want to like do instead of being. And so I was just sitting there and enjoying his presence. And these words came out of my mouth. Your nearness is my delight. And I kind of said that and I was like, wait yeah, that's true. Like, your nearness is my delight. And the more I said it, you know how sometimes you say something and you, like, kind of surprise yourself when you say it? And then the more you say it, the more that it transfers from, like, up here to down here. And so I just kept saying that over and over again. I was saying, your nearness is my delight. Your nearness is my delight. And I realized what was happening is I was storing up hope. Like, the more that I said that, I was storing up hope for times that might come down the road where that statement isn't easy for me to believe. So like there might be a time a year from now, five months from now, 10 minutes from now, when I'm like, God, I'm not feeling your nearness. But then I can go back to what I knew was so true in that moment and declared in that moment and had stored up in my heart and realize, no, your nearness, that truth is my delight. 
So I want to encourage you in a moment, like, if God is revealing something to you, to, like, lock that into your heart. Like, don't just lock it into your head and be like, okay, yeah, I got that. That's true. Even if it's something super simple, like, make sure it's locked into here so you can access it later on when maybe your circumstances aren't screaming that at you. So the kingdom, there's a verse that says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, right? So joy is part of our inheritance. And so in saying your nearness is my delight, like we get to delight in the presence of the Lord because joy is our inheritance. And the thing I love about that verse is like righteousness, peace, and joy. And I've heard it said so many times, like righteousness is a third of the kingdom. Peace is a third of the kingdom. Joy is a third of the kingdom. No, like righteousness is 100% of the kingdom. Peace is 100% of the kingdom. Joy is 100% of the kingdom. But like our brains can't comprehend that, right? Kind of like how Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Like what? (laughs) That doesn't make sense upon initial hearing. But we were created for intimate fellowship and communion with one another and with the Lord. So we are created to walk in the cool of the day with him. So kind of the direction we're going today. Do we have the clicker? Can I use the clicker? (laughs) Clicker? (laughs) Um, So kind of the direction that we're going today is we're going to do like a general quick overview of what the nearness of God means to us, like how that actually impacts our lives. And then... We're going to move into some more like practical ways of actually practicing the presence. And in this, I'm not going to focus so much on like practicing the presence every single moment of our life because like that could be a whole sermon by itself. But I'm going to more so go by like time dedicated, spent intentionally with the Lord. So I want to ask you a question. How close can we get? I want you to think about that for a second. Make it personal. How close can I get? I want to propose to you today that the answer to that is as close as you want. Like he's already done everything. The veil has been torn. He is in us and we are in him. But do we believe that? So he tells us to abide in me. And I'm sure all of us have probably heard John 15, but I want to read it over us this morning. And I'm going to do something that like I usually don't do and say, don't turn here. Because I want you to close your eyes and imagine Jesus in front of you saying this to you and just let him minister to you through that. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you had your eyes closed, you can open them. So nearness is not a feeling, okay? It's not an emotion. It's a reality. And intimacy is the product of abiding. I want to propose to you that it's possible to be physically close to someone, but not know them at all. Like, I could be sitting, like, right next to Brittany right there, like, and our elbows could be touching. That doesn't necessarily mean I know her. Like, that doesn't mean I know what's on her heart, that we've had conversations, that we've spent time together. That just means we're close, physically. But a relationship is two-sided and has a foundation of love. I think one of the keys to abiding is to not let familiarity steal our wonder. So when we get used to something and we get accustomed to it, we tend to let that be our normal. And that's okay, that's human nature to let things that we're accustomed to be normal. But I think there's nothing normal about the presence of God. Like it is awesome and it is wonderful and it's worthy of our wonder and our awe. He's worthy of our wonder and our awe. And as we get more and more close to him, we begin to see more of his heart. And our flesh begins to die. Like, we can't serve two masters. That's like the, the part that like we don't want to talk about, you know? It's like, oh, we get to see more of his heart. Yay. And my flesh dies. Okay. But we can't serve two masters. Like, we have to love one and reject the other. So like, are we choosing the world or are we choosing him? And the beautiful thing that is that as we choose him more and more, he frees us from ourselves and we become more the person that he created us to be. And we become people who are not swayed by the world. I know you probably can't see that, sorry. But this is a quote that I love from Andrew Murray. And he says, He sums up fellowship with God in a really beautiful way. And so I just want to read this to us today. He says, man was created for fellowship with God. God made him in his own image and likeness so that he might be fit for this fellowship, capable of understanding and enjoying God, entering into his will and delighting in his glory. Because God is the all-present and all-pervading one, He could have lived in the enjoyment of an unbroken fellowship amid whatever work he had to do. Sin robbed us of this fellowship. Nothing but this fellowship can satisfy the heart of either man or God. It was this that Christ came to restore, to bring back to God his lost creature, and bring back to man 
to all that he was created for. Communion with God is the consummation of all blessedness on earth as it is in heaven. It comes when the promise so often given becomes a full experience when he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, Hebrews 13.5. And when we can say, the Father is always with me. The line that I really love from this is where he says, communion with God is the consummation of all blessedness on earth as it is in heaven. And I love that because what, what does that mean for us? That means the kingdom is here now, that we have full access. And how do we recognize that reality? Well, it's really simple. When we say the Father is with me, that's us acknowledging that the kingdom is right here right now. And so what does this reality impact? Like, what does the understanding of this fellowship impact? It was easier just to say the word everything than write out everything that it impacted, right? Because it changes everything. It touches every aspect of our lives. Our prayer life changes. When we understand our access as son or daughter, friend, brother, sister, the bride of Christ, think of whatever term you want to use there as how you're approaching the Lord, we begin to pray, not my will, but your will. Because we realize that he is all-knowing, and I am not. He is perfect, I am not. And his plans are best because he sees in full. What else does it change? The prophetic begins to flow, right? We hear his voice for us. We hear his voice for other people. And when we get it, we get it. And he has us on his mind, and he wants to partner with us. We serve from the posture of Mary, not Martha, in the sense of we serve from the posture of being seated at his feet rather than trying to figure out what we can do next for him. I was on a Zoom call yesterday um, with some friends. I went on a retreat a couple weekends back in Moravian Falls. And so we had one of those like Zoom call reunions, you know, um, because Zoom is the cool thing to do these days. And he was talking about service in a really cool way. Um, He was talking about service not just being like, how can we serve the body of Christ? Like, how can we serve the ecclesia? Like, that's great. And that should be part of service. But he was talking about how to make service a part of our lifestyle. Like, how do we carry on service beyond the walls of the church? And the answer he gave to that was really simple. He was like, do what Jesus did. And just, like, Jesus did what he saw the Father do. And so how do we serve well? We do what Jesus did and ask the Father what he's doing. And... I can guarantee you that, like, the Father's heart is one of compassion for everyone. So when we're motivated by love and compassion from the heart of the Father, like, we can serve from that place of Mary. And so this also impacts how we view the body of Christ, right? So in humility, we begin to recognize how we need each other. So, like, if I'm a finger, I need a toe, And if I'm a heart, I need the lungs, right? I don't want everybody to be a finger because then we just have a bunch of fingers around and not a full functioning body. So this impacts 
so much and touches every aspect of our life on a deep level. So the beautiful thing about this is as we draw near to God, he reciprocates. He draws near to us. And it's such a beautiful picture that we see in James 4, 8, where as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. You know what we don't like to quote? The second half of this verse that says, (laughs) wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We could spend pretty much like an entire Sunday diving through this verse, but basically it means kind of like what I was saying earlier, we can have one master, one king, one who we are close to. Like you can't serve God and man. You can't be close to the things of this world and, and God. He requires full submission, like all of us. He requires us to say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. So I ask you today, are you willing to do that? Are you wanting to do that? The thing that I love about scripture in a lot of places is that it's an invitation into something. So like, I like to imagine when I'm reading, if there's a passage that like, kind of looks like a doorway in the sense of like God's inviting us into something, I like to take a moment and be like, God, what are you inviting us into through this passage? And so I would say the invite here is to come a little closer. Like he's beckoning us through this as he says like, hey, draw near to me. I will draw near to you. There's like no one like him and he is worthy. So my prayer for us is that we would be a people who would pour out our costly perfume on his feet because he is worthy. And he longs for a pure bride. Purity matters a lot to the Lord. And I think sometimes we get caught up when we talk about purity on like sexual purity. And that's really great to talk about. But purity of devotion also matters. Like, are we pure in our devotion to the Lord? Are we pure in our love for him? Or have we let little loves of the world creep into that? So I want to take a second and share an image that the Lord showed me back in August. Um, And it was just a really simple image, but it was this beautiful picture of how he desires to be and have everything in our hearts. And so the Lord first showed me this image of some briar bushes and some thorny ivy, like taking over this landscape. Think kind of like kudzu. And he asked me a question. He said, is it consuming? And in that moment, you know, I thought about when he like asked questions in the Bible and they responded with, only you, Lord, know. But I was like, I mean, yes, it's consuming. Is that right? And he's like, yes. And then he asked, is it alive? I said, yes. Then he said, but is it what you want? And I was like, no, I don't want thorns and bushes. Like, that's not ideal. And so I knew this landscape in that moment represented my flesh. And it's not even necessarily things that are bad. Like some of it was just stuff that aren't the Lord himself. Like my priorities might have been off a little bit. And the second image that he showed me was the same briars and thorns, 
but they were dried up. Like it looked like they had gone through a pretty harsh summer. And I knew it was representative, like Paul talks about in Colossians, of putting to death things of the flesh. And again, he asked me the same question, is it consuming? I was like, yes, it's still taking over the landscape. And then he asked again, is it alive? And I said, no. And then he said, that's right, while these things are still consuming, now that they are dead, they are easily consumed by my fire. And so the question that I started asking myself after that was, what will I allow myself to be consumed by? And so I want to read Romans 8, 12 through 17. You can turn there if you want. Again, that was Romans 8, 12 through 17. So he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So when I ask myself, what will I allow myself to be consumed by? If the answer is, I want to be consumed by your fire, then we see our inheritance here in these verses. Like we, the spirit of adoption is our inheritance. And he freely gives that to us. So we're going to shift over into some practicals of practicing the presence. And if you remember, at the beginning of this, I said, these are like times intentionally and specifically set aside. Not, I mean, some of these you could like do throughout your day, yes, but some of them you probably don't want to try to do at work. I mean, you could. So... I would say a lot of these things that I'm going to throw up here in a second are super easy to do. Some of them might offend your flesh, but like that's okay. The real problem is that the world is full of distractions, right? So I just like some insight into how slow I can be to like catch on to things sometimes. I used to keep my phone right next to me when I would try to like wait on the Lord in stillness. Stillness is like pretty easy for me. Like I love sitting there and like being quiet before the Lord, but not when there's a distraction, like sitting right beside me. I'm like one minute in and I'm like, Lord, it must've been 20 minutes. Like, let me just check my phone real quick. And it's like one minute. I'm like, okay, okay. One more minute. Like, let's keep going. And then a couple months pass and I realize maybe I should put my phone in another room right? Should have thought of that like at the beginning. But 
Now I keep my phone in a completely separate room because just the thought of like having it next to me was like, I need to look and see if anything's going on. Maybe I missed something in the past minute. So figure out what your distractions are. Maybe it's not your phone. Like maybe it's something else for you. And try to minimize those just on a very practical sense. Um, some of these things that I'm going to list out might be stuff that you already do, and that's awesome. But I want to encourage you to find maybe one or two of these things that you don't do already and, like, put them into practice. And maybe as I'm speaking, I also want to encourage you to, like, lean into what the Lord might be saying to you because what he's saying is, like, super important and probably more important than this list that I'm about to read off. And if he's, like, inviting you into a way to press in deeper with him, go that way. So some of these things also can be done in tandem. So you can do, like, one or two or three of them together. So this is kind of the list. We're going to rapid fire through it to not take up too much time. So number one, soaking prayer. So this one is an inlet like a receiving posture. Um, a lot of these you'll notice are either kind of like inlet, receiving, or outlet, like adoration, ministering to the Lord. So in soaking prayer, it's very atmosphere-assisted. So I kind of like to go into that before I go into stillness and waiting in quiet because it's a great transition piece because the atmosphere... And when I say atmosphere-assisted, I mean music-assisted. So you have, like, music playing in the background. And my personal experience with soaking prayer and waiting on the Lord in this is it opens up seeing in the Spirit, like, visions and the ability for the Lord to, like, show you what is on his heart because everything else is, like, put away for the time being. So that's been my personal experience with that. The second one is praise. And I think this one gets confused with worship a little bit. Like they're, they can go in tandem. But to praise, again, this is an outlet. You're ministering to the Lord. To praise literally means to express admiration of. And sure, you can do this through worship. But if you think about it, we'll talk about this a little later. Worship songs are not all adoration songs. Some of them are declarations. Some of them you're singing man to man. Some of them are being sung God to man. So for praise, it gets our hearts in the right place. And an easy way to enter into praise is through thanksgiving. So maybe I'm trying to get my praise on, right? And I'm like, Lord, you're worthy. You're good. That's all I got right now. <laughs> like, and you just can't think of anything else. It's okay. We've all been there. An easy way to like transition back into praise mode is to start thanking the Lord for things. So like, Lord, I thank you for my husband. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my kids. And then you start going into, oh God, like you're a good father. You're a provider. You're a protector. So it's easy if you start using Thanksgiving as a highway to get into praise. Number three, physical posture. So here's one that you can easily combine with others, right? There's something that's like super powerful about letting our physical body lead by demonstration where we want our soul to get to. 
So maybe my flesh is like really not feeling it one day. And I love to do this when I'm not feeling it. So like I might be walking into a time that I've like intentionally set aside with the Lord. And I'm like, God, I have five million other things to do right now. I'm just not feeling it today. Something really easy to do is to like get down on your knees for like a minute and just like acknowledge his presence. Like it's really powerful. I encourage you to try it if you haven't. Number four, reading the word. There are so many resources on this. Like you can use a devotional, you can go five psalms a day, you can go Lecto Divino. All of the resources are on the Googles, so I will not go through them. I just encourage you to read the word, okay? So my history with the Bible is I went to a private Christian school, so the Bible was used a lot as a textbook. So I got really burnt out, honestly, with the Bible. And the thing that rekindled my hunger and passion, two things. One, I had people pray for me that the Bible would be lifelike and that I would experience Jesus through it. And two, I learned how to pray read through the Bible. And so that changed because it made it interactive and not just a textbook anymore. So number five, waiting in stillness. I've touched on this a little bit. And I think this one, in my opinion, is like one of my favorites. And I think it's kind of a lost art. What I'm talking about here is different from soaking prayer that we talked about earlier. And I think there are things that we can only have access to in the Lord that we get by waiting in stillness before him. Um, it is a great way to kill striving mentality because you're literally putting your hands down. So Psalm 46:10 says, be still and know that I am God. And that be still there, it doesn't literally translate to like, be still. It translates to cease striving. But a great way to put that into practice is by waiting in stillness before the Lord because you are ceasing striving. And it takes the most discipline out of all of these, but it can be so rewarding. And as the case with all of these, like if he's the focal point, like you're setting yourself up for encounter with him. So... Number six, worship and adoration. So yes, your life and your vocation can be like acts of worship before the Lord. Um, but here I'm talking about that set aside time of worship. So Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.16 also says something super similar. It references psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what are they? They are all forms of worship. Psalms. We have an amazing example of psalms here, David's psalms. They're super personal. They are between you and the Lord. Like you can understand a person's heart towards the Lord and their understanding of the Lord through a psalm. Hymns 
are corporate songs that are used to identify, to unify the body and point to Christ. So they identify an aspect of who God is, and the body is unified around that. Spiritual songs, um, I went to hear Rick Pino speak about worship. Janice was there for that, <laughs> a couple other people. Um, he defined spiritual songs, like this is my favorite definition I have heard to this day, as a God-breathed news report or an ode. And I love that. I'm like, spiritual songs? Like, my definition I heard before that was just like, songs that you feel like the Lord is giving you in the moment. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But a God-breathed news report? Like, we need a lot of that more than a man-breathed news report, right? So scripture encourages us to sing a new song unto the Lord so many times. And the thing that blows my mind about this is that there are songs in heaven that we haven't heard yet. Like, I think there's a passage in Revelation that talks about, like, a song that will be taught to people who, like, it hasn't been heard on the earth yet. That blows my mind. So something I do want to touch on real quick with worship and adoration is not everyone loves to sing words, and that's okay. So melodies are also included in worship. Like if all you can do is make like a ooh sound, that's worship. Singing in tongues is worship. Playing an instrument is worship. And we worship from heaven's perspective. So number seven asking prayer. This is the one where you let your requests be known to God, right? I think we kind of all have an idea of what this means, so I'm not going to talk about it too much, but it's basically prayer and petition, presenting your request to God, asking him for things, and recognizing where you're seated and doing that. Number eight, dance. Literally, I don't mean, like, be a ballerina or, like, learn how to tap dance or, like, formal kinds of dance. I just mean moving your body. So, like, if a sway is what you got, that's your dance, okay? It's, like, less about perfection, more about authenticity, right? Something that I have, like, learned that I love in dance is flagging because... Reality is, I don't know what to do with my hands when I'm dancing, and flags give them something to do, which is really nice. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote where he says, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. So if you need like a doorway and to like help you dance, I don't know, like sing a psalm or read a psalm, like that can be really helpful. Dance goes hand in hand with number three, um, which is physical posture. So like sometimes if you're not feeling it, getting into that place of like entering in with the Lord through dance can be something to practically help with that. I do want to acknowledge though, because there's several passages in scripture that say there's a time for mourning and a time for dancing. And so there are times when you're like, I cannot dance right now, and that's okay. So I do just want to acknowledge that, like, it's very clear that there are times and there's a season for everything. So sometimes you, like, might not 
be in a place where you can dance, and that's okay. So there's a ton more things that I could have added to this list, but I didn't. So like, again, ask the Lord if there's more ways that he wants to commune with you. Um, some of them could be like meditative prayer, praying in tongues, going for a walk with the Lord. There's a ton more options. So I just encourage you um, to ask the Lord in ways that he wants to engage with you in that. So I want to end today by, I had two words that I felt like the Lord wanted to release this morning. And so I'm just going to kind of share what the Lord showed me, and then we'll go back into ministry time. So the first thing that I saw was, it was like all of the awakening people, think like Walmart, but like not Walmart. It was like an amazing supermarket that had literally everything that you could need. And we were all kind of dispersed throughout this place, like at different products. And some pe sometimes there were like three people in an aisle, and sometimes there was one person. But proximity to other people like wasn't the main highlight of this image. And so I asked the Lord why we were all around and what was the meaning of us being in this place. And he said, I want to remind my people that they have access to everything that they need, but sometimes that's through another person. And so I felt like he was highlighting the whole aspect of community and like us being the body and like us not being created to try to do everything, but like sometimes relying on someone else. And so I felt like the key here was for us to find our place in the body and to begin to walk in it. And I don't just mean on Sunday mornings, I mean like throughout the week at your workplace with your family, like believing your place. And if you don't know what your place is, I encourage you to ask some people around you because they probably know, like your people who know you are like, oh, that this is like what the Lord has put inside of you. Like walk in that. That is like one of the most encouraging things that you can do for a brother or sister is call out those things in them. And it doesn't have to be like prophetic or super spiritual. Like it can just be encouragement. Like, hey, you are really compassionate. Like, you don't have to be like, thus saith the Lord, you are compassionate. No, like, just tell them that they're compassionate and you appreciate that. The other thing that I saw was, I saw, like, us as a church kind of lined up, and against the wall, there were a bunch of backpacks. And in these backpacks, there were a bunch of different weighted cinder blocks. And this is really interesting. I'm going to try to describe, like, how time worked in this. There was like a bar of time right above, and I could see that it was kind of rolling through a time period of like 50 years. So it was a long time as this was happening, and I would watch people from this group go up, pick up a backpack, and some people would keep it on their back for like the rest of the time period. Some people would like give it to someone else, and then other people would go back and put it back down. And I was like, Lord, what is going on? Like, I don't understand this. And I felt like he was saying, like, these backpacks represent, like, the weights of the world. And, like, things 
from the world that we are really quick to go and pick up. And sometimes we'll like bear one another's burdens, but like someone else will grab the burden and then they won't take it to the foot of the cross. They're just like, this is now mine to bear when it's like never was ours to bear. So I feel like he wanted to remind us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and we're supposed to be yoked with him and not the world. And like this is not in any way to condemn, like this is to bring life. Like the weight of the world is heavy and we were not meant to carry it. But we have access to the foot of the cross where we can like bring those burdens and like give them to him. So a really practical way that I think like a year or two ago, someone showed me how to do this, is if you feel like you have a burden that you're carrying that is not yours to carry, like you can just envision it in front of you in your hands and like hand it over to Jesus and be like, Jesus, I put this at the foot of the cross. The thing is, is sometimes it doesn't end there. Sometimes like later on that day, we're like, hold on, let me go grab that again real quick. Like, when we're not, we're not having to go and grab it. So inviting the Lord to just speak into that of like, God, if I go back and grab it, please stop me, you know? And he will gladly do that because he doesn't want us to carry it. Like he paid for all of that on the cross already. So like it was finished then. So he will gladly stop you from picking it back up. And so those were kind of the two things that I saw. So if Either of those two words apply to you where, one, you feel like you need to find your place in the body and you don't know what that is, or two, you feel like you're carrying burdens that were not meant for you to carry and, like, need to leave those at the foot of the cross, then I would love to pray for you guys. Um, so I'm going to pray for you all right now. Jesus, I thank you that you are good. I thank you so much for your nearness, God. I thank you that your nearness is our delight. Your nearness is our delight, God. Just say that to him. Say, your nearness is my delight. Your nearness is our delight. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you are good to us. And God, I pray for those right now who are struggling to find their place in the body of Christ. God, I ask that you would be near to them and that you would give them wisdom and insight for what you've created and called them to do. And Lord, that you would give them the courage to step into that, whether that's from direct revelation from you or the encouragement of their brothers and sisters around them. So God, I bless people to know what they were created for and to step into that. And God, I also pray for people who have picked up burdens that were never theirs to carry. And God, I ask that there would be an exchange even right now in this moment, Lord, that they would take those to the foot of the cross and that they would leave them there. Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all for us on the cross that that is the reality that we get to walk in each and every day. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this time that we've had together. And, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name I pray. The worship team wants to hop back up. We're going to go into ministry time. And Janice and I will be over there 
available to pray for you if you want individual prayer.